so now I'm going to switch into the topic for tonight, which is anxiety and depression. It's kind of a heavier topic. Um, and I'm going to share a lot about my own personal journey through anxiety and depression and how the Lord led me through that and how he brought healing to me. Um, I don't know your stories here tonight. Some of you may be going through that right now, or maybe you've been through it in the past. Maybe some of you have never dealt with anxiety or depression. If that's the case, praise the Lord. Um, maybe there is a friend or a family member or a loved one that you'd be able to share some of this with. And if not, I'm hoping to tie in some, just some timeless truths that would be applicable to all of us at any stage of life, whether you're on a mountain peak, somewhere in the middle, or in, you know, walking through the valley of depression or anxiety. So hopefully that will be in there too. Um, but just a, a lot of what you hear tonight is going to be my personal testimony. So um, hopefully there will be some encouraging things in there too. Um, as you saw, we have two children. My son Finn is two years old. He was born on August the 22nd, 2011, and he was born there in Asia. And wonderful delivery, wonderful pregnancy. He was healthy, um, started feeding well. You know, we just felt like, wow, we're really adjusting great to this being a family of four. Things were going really well. Um, but despite that, I, I noticed that I was having just kind of a um, general vague sense of anxiety. And um, in addition to that, um, I was really tearful. I was crying a lot. And I thought, well, you know, I did just have a baby. Maybe it's just that um, upheaval of hormones that's going on. So I just didn't think too much about it. And I thought, well, this will get better with time. So I just kind of didn't think too much about it. At the same time, we had a lot of other stressful stuff going on. We had some teammates that we had been with for many years that were leaving Aroma, and they weren't going to be coming back. And that was a really stressful situation. Um, we just had, had been bombarded with all kinds of illnesses and lots of travel. So just a lot of stressful stuff going on right around that same time, too. So I just thought, okay, that's all it is. Well, um, as time went on, instead of getting better, it just seemed to get worse. And that um, vague, general sense of anxiety started becoming more... Um, focused and more intense and I had certain things that I knew were triggers that if this situation or that situation happened I was going to have an anxiety attack and one of those things for me unfortunately was um, this illness that's called dengue fever as the name would suggest if you get dengue fever you have fever well it's transmitted by mosquito bites and we live in the land of mosquitoes where we are and um if you get bitten by one of these mosquitoes, you'll get sick for probably about seven to ten days. Fever, they also call it breakbone fever because it causes really bad bone pain because the virus actually attacks your bone marrow, causes crazy stuff to happen with your blood. Um, in a generally healthy person, this, you know, you're going to be sick for a couple days, but you're going to get better. Okay, you just do Tylenol, fluids, rest, you're going to get better. Um, in some of the more vulnerable populations, it can cause death, especially in children. And we had seen that in our area. Um, right around that time, several children had died, and it's probably because their fever was untreated, not because they had dengue. Um, but I had a neighbor down the street, nine-month-old baby. They'd been praying for years to have a child, and their baby died from dengue. So that was one of my triggers. So like, I could see a mosquito, and I would have a panic attack. And um, 
where we are is really remote. So, like, if something were to go down crazy and we needed help, we're going to have to get on, like, two flights, you know, and there's only one flight a day. Like, it's just not going to happen fast. And mom, small children, anxiety, mosquitoes, this wasn't a good combo for me. Um, so that was really my trigger, and I was really starting to have some severe anxiety with that, unable to sleep at night, and just felt like I was a stress case walking around like this all the time, like I was just hypervigilant monitoring my situation. And um, it's just such an uncomfortable feeling. If you've ever felt anxious before, even for a moment, this is an uncomfortable feeling, and you want to get control of that real quick. And so that's what I thought. I was like, I've got to get control of this. I need to get control of my situation. So what I thought I would do was, well, we have screens on our windows and our doors. Got rid of all the house plants. No standing water in my house. And, you know, mosquitoes are most prevalent at um, dawn and dusk. And so I just thought, we just won't go outside during those times. And um, where we are, it's a really popular time to hang out in the afternoon. And then the call to prayer goes off at 6 p.m., Everybody goes inside, and that's about the time the sun goes down and mosquitoes would be out. So that was my cutoff point. I heard the call to prayer, bam, we're inside the house. And anytime we were outside, too, my children had long sleeve shirts and pants and tropical weather, and I'm spraying them down with chemicals. And um, so I was, I was doing all of these things to control my environment in hopes of controlling the anxiety. Well, then it just kept coming and kept coming till then. Six o'clock wasn't my curfew, but then it was five. And then it was four, and then it was three, and then we're not going outside at all. And um, my daughter would say, Mom, I want to go outside and play with my friends. I'd be like, no, honey, come over here. Let's watch some TV. I mean, what mom does that? Your kid's like, hey, Mama, let me go outside. And you're like, no, honey, stay in here with Mama. Let's watch TV. No. So you can see I'm getting out of control. And um, it started affecting ministry because I didn't want to leave. Or if I did leave, I only had certain places that I felt comfortable going. And I would even think like, no, no, I saw a mosquito there. I'm not going there again. Or there's a lot of plants there. We aren't going there. And I mean, it was just out of control. And um, my husband, sometimes he has to travel with our work. And it got to the point where he didn't, um, I didn't feel comfortable with him leaving because I thought like, what if something happens? You aren't here. Um, and then at night, we'd, you know, we'd sit down for dinner, and tears would just stream down my face, and I'd just be crying for no reason. And my daughter would say, Mama, why are you crying? Are you sad? And I'd say, no, baby, I'm not sad. I don't, I don't know why I'm crying. I'm okay. And my, bless my husband, he didn't know what to do with me either because I couldn't verbalize what was going on. And so um, what ended up happening in all of this was I thought I was going to control my anxiety by controlling my situation, but what ended up happening was my anxiety controlled me, and it was starting to control my family and it affect us in really negative ways, and we thought, this just cannot keep happening. Now, of course, during all of this, in addition to all my <laughs> shutting of windows and spraying down with chemicals, I was praying, of course, and I was bringing this to the Lord and just praying and crying out to him, Lord, please take this from me, please take this from me. We can't live out here and serve you out here if this is how I'm feeling all the time. And um, just his peace would come in those moments, but it seemed like a momentary victory. So I'd win a battle, but I was still in the war with anxiety. And I just felt like he wasn't answering me. Um, I Many years ago, I'd memorized Ephesians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I think I might have put this on here. Let's see. Yes, I did. Which says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the first thing there, of course, is do not be anxious about anything. Anything. Don't be anxious about mosquitoes and all this other stuff. Do not be anxious about anything. Um, but in everything by prayer and petition. And so I thought, okay, this is what I have to do. I need to pray and ask God to take this from me. And so that's what I was doing. Whenever I start feeling anxious, I would go and ask God, please help me with this. And then the next thing in that verse says, with thanksgiving. And so this was another one of my um, coping strategies and things that were helpful to me during this time was to just be thankful. My sister-in-law, Sharon, had given me a book by Ann Voskamp. It's called 1,000 Gifts. Probably a lot of you have heard of it before. It's a really great book. If you haven't read it, I would recommend it. It's 1,000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp. Basically, very short, condensed version is she just recommends that you keep a list of 1,000 things that you're thankful for. And in doing that, you can kind of see God's hand in your life in ways that he's there with you and providing for you. And so that was another thing that I would do in addition to praying. When I start to feel these anxieties creep up in me, I would run, like literally run and go grab my notebook and I would just start listing all these things that I was thankful for and all these ways that I had seen God um, just show himself in my life during that time. And that would also help. That would also bring peace and his peace would um, guard my heart and my mind. But then, like I said, it would just be for a little while, and then it would come back. And I wanted victory over this thing. I didn't want to just, whenever it sprang up, deal with it right then. I just felt like we were, you know, putting Band-Aids on it. And so, just struggling along through this, trying to do what we could. And this had been going on for a couple of months, and I started thinking, you know what? My brother is getting ready to get married, and we're going to be going to America for this wedding for a month. It's going to be a real quick trip. And I thought, if I can just make it until February, then we're going to go to America. I will be out of this high-intensity environment. I'll be away from all these mosquitoes. It will be February in America. There's not even going to be a mosquito around. And I, I'll just get a break. I can just calm down for a minute. And I think if I can just calm down for a little while, then I'll be able to get on top of this. And also, you know, there's hospitals, doctors. Like, I can just chill out for a little while. And so I just started, like, living for that moment when we could come home. And this was about a month before we left. And so I just kind of had withdrawn within my little shell, my little comfort zone, which was very tight, and was just waiting for that moment where I could go home to the U.S. And I think, by the way, I do think a lot of this was spiritual warfare because when we got on the plane, I, like, literally felt something, like, get off of me. And I felt a lot lighter, but it still was pretty intense. And so... um, this is about January. We're going to be going home in February. About January, we had gone to a friend's house and um, on another island, and my family was all in one room because we were staying with friends. My children were asleep. My husband was asleep. The lights were off, laying down, going to bed, and I was just praying my same prayer again. Lord, I just, you've got to speak to me. You've got to do something. I can't keep going on like this. Please, please, just anything. I just want to hear from you. And as I closed my eyes, this verse came to my mind, and it said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is. And I thought, is what? I can't remember. And I thought, okay, this has got to be from the Lord, because I have not read this verse recently. It's definitely not one that I've memorized before. I didn't hear a sermon on it, so I was like, Lord, I think you're speaking to me. (laughs) And I want to know what you're saying, but, like, my kids are asleep. So 
when I get up in the morning, first thing in the morning, we're going to find that verse, and I want you to speak to me. Whatever you say, I receive it. I'm so excited. And I went to bed that night so excited, like I can't wait to get up and see what he's going to say to me. So that morning I got up, and I had to get a concordance out because I had no idea where that verse was. And I looked it up, and I found it in Luke chapter 9. Now, a good thing to do whenever you just have, like, one verse, you kind of need to know the context, what's before it and what's after it, um, to kind of give you a little bit of insight into what's going on there. And so Luke chapter 9, I saw the heading, the cost of following Jesus. And I thought, oh, this is probably not going to be good. It's probably going to be about sacrifice and all this kind of stuff. But I said, I don't care. Lord is oil to my head. I receive it, whatever it is. And so I found it in verse 62, and this is what it says. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And I thought, oh, Lord, it is a rebuke, but I don't care. I'm just so happy I heard from you. And so what I did was I took that verse and I studied it. I looked at scriptures that were similar to it. I prayed about it. And um, I talked to my husband about it, talked to other people about it. And what I came down to, what I felt like the Lord was speaking to me at that time with that verse was that in my heart I had turned back to America. I had put my hand to the plow to follow after him and to serve him in Asia, but my heart had turned back to America. And I wasn't able to follow after him and plow a straight line if in my heart I'm looking back to America. And I said, Lord, you're right. I was looking. I was putting my trust in America and in hospitals and all this other stuff, and my trust needs to be in you, fully in you. And so I repented of that. I put my eyes on him again, and I said, I don't know what's before me in this field, but we are going to plow together and just start going forward again. It was still hard. My anxiety was still there, but I had just a little bit of oomph to help get me through a little bit. Well, it wasn't too long, and that crafty enemy came, and just like what he did with Eve in the garden when he came to her and he said, did God really say don't eat that fruit? Or did he say that you're going to die? And when he just started speaking these lies to me, it was like, did God really tell you to keep plowing out here? Like, you are dying. You can barely go. And he's just cracking that whip and saying, keep going, keep plowing. You know, you are just a means to his end. He doesn't care about you. You are just one in a sea of billions of people. He doesn't see you. He doesn't care. You're out here struggling. And all he wants you to do is keep plowing. And I started listening to that, y'all. I think because probably I was in the valley of depression. I started listening to that. And I'm like, woe is me, you know, all that kind of situation. And what happened was my image of God got warped. And also the image of myself got warped. And I started seeing God as cold, impersonal, distant, uncaring, just a taskmaster. I started seeing myself as just like just a peon, you know, just getting his work done. He didn't care about me. And um, it just got bad from there, you can imagine. Um, so this is all, you know, this happened very quickly. This was in January, February. I'm going home for my brother's wedding. So I went home for my brother's wedding, and while we were there, I went and saw a counselor. And just talking to him, telling him kind of what's going on, and he said, Julie, I think that you have stress-induced anxiety. And that's where, like, basically um, a lot of stressful events enter into your life, and you need to process those events. Otherwise, they just bum rumble around in your brain, you know, and in your heart. And you need to be able to process those events. And I wasn't able to because we just had so much going on. And so as a new event was entering into my life, I couldn't handle it. And so it just expressed itself as anxiety. Um, and I thought, well, yeah, that sounds like me. And so, um, sorry. He um, 
told me some things that I could do in order to reduce stress in my life and um, also some little tips on how to deal with anxiety as it was arising. And he also gave me this book. It's called The Anxiety Cure, and it's by a man, uh, a Christian author. His name is Dr. Archibald Hart, H-A-R-T, Hart. And there's a kid version of this book as well. And it's really good. This really is a good book. The first part of it is kind of in two sections. The first section kind of talks about the pathophysiology of stress and anxiety and what chemicals are released. And when you're living on adrenaline for all this time, the effect that it can have on your body. So, like, the nurse and me really like that part. But if that's not your deal, you can kind of just skip that and get to the more practical section where he does talk about ways that you can reduce stress and deal with anxiety. So I would recommend that book. And also, too, if you know of any children that struggle with anxiety, there's a child version. So just throw that out there. So anyway, I had a game plan. We were in America for a month, went to counseling, and I had a game plan. We're coming back to Aroma, and this is what we're going to do. I'm going to reduce his stress. I'm going to talk to these people. And when my anxiety arises, I'm going to do a lot of what I was already doing, praying and keeping my thankful list and things like that. Um, so we were excited. We thought, all right, we're going to get this, you know, when we get back. So we got back, and um, that did help. All of those things did help. But I was like, I would fight to move forward one step, and then one thing would happen. I'd see a mosquito or whatever, and just go back 10 steps. Or, and I mean, I was just using like all of my energy emotionally, physically, spiritually, everything just to move forward. And it could come crashing down so easily, and I would get so discouraged. So it's just so hard. And um, also during this time, I started having some more of the physical symptoms. I was already having sleeplessness, but that got even worse, the sleeplessness. I was having a lot of nausea, weight loss. I didn't feel like I could eat. My stomach was always in knots. My throat felt tight. Like I just felt like I couldn't ever really swallow. And um, it was just awful. And I'm also crying during all of this and having this anxiety. And we thought, this can just not keep happening like this. We have got to do something for the long term. And <clears throat> so we talked to our leadership. We talked to um, you guys here at East Cooper. And we decided the best thing to do was for me to go and get some more counseling. And there's actually a counseling center in Asia. It's in Thailand. And um, it's for cross-cultural workers like we are. And um, so that's what we decided to do. And at first, I felt relieved. I thought, this is the light at the end of the tunnel. This is, this is going to do it for me. But that was um, very soon overwhelmed by feelings of guilt, intense guilt. And I thought, I am uprooting my entire family to go to this place and taking my husband away from the ministry that he loves, taking my children away from their home, um, because of me, and I felt selfish, and I felt like a failure, I felt like, well, I just can't hack it, so we got to pack up our bags and move, and it's going to be expensive, we're just going to another place that's full of mosquitoes, like, and I just thought, what if this doesn't work, what, what, what then, I mean, this is like my last ditch effort, like, I don't, I didn't know what I would do if this didn't work, so I was afraid, um, but we just knew, we've got to do this, and so we did, we went to Thailand, and um, I saw a doctor there, I saw a psychiatrist, and in, within 30 minutes of talking to me, she was like, Julie, I think that you have a particularly virulent form of postpartum depression. And I thought, what? 
okay, first of all, my son is 10 months old, okay? I should be out of the postpartum part now. And then I thought, well, I don't feel depressed. I feel anxious. And she said, I know, but what happens in some people, she's like, if you have pure anxiety and pure depression and they're opposite extremes, it's very clear. This is anxiety, this is depression. And she's like, but some people kind of meet in the middle where you don't really know where the anxiety ends and the depression begins. And that's where I was. And she's like, there's a lot of qualities about what you're telling me that make me think that it's actually depression, um, like the crying. Um, and so she said, I think that we need to go on medication. And I was prepared for that because at this point we were desperate. And so I said, um, okay, you know, if that's what you think we need to do, then we'll do that. And she recommended short-term, like six to nine months going on this medication. So we did. And within two weeks, y'all, I was myself again. I um, physically, I could eat. Um, I was sleeping. Um, mentally, like all of this that had been going on in my brain was kind of like settling down. Uh, emotionally, I wasn't crying, you know. I was able to laugh and enjoy my family and just kind of like chill, chill out a little bit. Um, and so I felt I felt a lot better, but there was still, spiritually, I still had that wound there. Like, why wasn't God answering me? And he's this cold, impersonal, distant God. And um, so I knew I wasn't healed yet. Physically, I was, and even emotionally, um, well, mentally, but I still had that wound, emotionally and spiritually. And so I thought, well, I need more counseling than this. And um, I had prayed this prayer. I wrote it in my journal, actually. And I wrote, um, Lord, I want to see you as you are, as you really are. And I want to see myself as you see me. And I said also in that time, I said, I really feel like I'm just needing some tenderness right now. And um, the verse that came to my mind was, a bruised reed you will not break. And I felt like he was saying to me, like, you're my little reed, and you're bruised, and you're busted up, but I'm not going to break you. And um, so I went to see this counselor, and I thought, I have no idea what I'm even going to say to her. Like, this has been going on for 10 months. I don't even know where to begin. And so I walked in there, and her name is Joyce, and she specializes, she's a counselor, but she specializes in this thing called healing prayer or wholeness prayer. Some people call it Emmanuel prayer. And I would love to spend the rest of the time talking about healing prayer because I really believe in it. It helped me a lot, and I've seen it help a lot of other people. But I will tell you a website where you can get a lot of information on it, or if you want to talk to me later, email me. We'll talk about it. Um, but basically... Is they call it three-way prayer. So you're praying with another person, and you're praying to God, and you just want to bring him an issue and say, Lord, this is what's going on. Show me the root of this, and um, give me your perspective on this and speak your truth into this because you want to try to get healing at the root of what's going on. And um, so that's what we were doing. And she said to me, um, you know, sometimes people in the past that I've dealt with that have had anxiety have... Um, had an interruption in their connectedness to the Lord. Like, not like your salvation, your relationship, all that's intact, but sometimes your connectivity has been interrupted or, um, what's another way that she said it? Oh, intimacy. There's just an interruption in that intimacy with the Lord. And so she said, 
why don't we, since you don't know where to begin, why don't we start with the, pla the last place where you felt, or not the last place, a, a time where you felt particularly connected to the Lord. So it doesn't have to be the most recent time that you felt connected to the Lord, but a time when you felt particularly connected to the Lord, and we'll start there. So when she said that, immediately I knew where I wanted to go. Back a few months prior to that, <clears throat> in Aroma, I had come across a quote by Charles Spurgeon. They should be on your table if you want to grab one. Um, I came across this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He's a Baptist um, minister a couple hundred years ago. Um, and I loved it because it gave... Um, a visual of what it's like when we pray, that we enter into God's throne room when we pray. So I just want to read that um, for us now. It says, We do not come in prayer, as it were, only to God's poor house, where he dispenses his favors to the poor, nor do we come to the back door of the house of mercy to receive the broken scraps, though that would be more than we deserve. To eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table is more than we could claim. But when we pray... We are standing in the palace on the glittering floor of the great king's own reception room, and thus we are placed on vantage ground. In prayer we stand where angels bow with veiled faces. There, even there, the cherubim and seraphim adore before that selfsame throne to which our prayers ascend. And should we come there with stunted request and narrow, constricted faith? No. It does not become a king to be giving away pennies and nickels. He distributes pieces of gold. And when I read that, I was like, I wanted to go into that throne room, like, right away. And so I went in my room, I got down on the floor, and in my mind, I tried to envision that throne room. I tried to see those gold-glittering, sparkling floors, and I tried to see his throne there with the 24 elders around him just falling on their faces and crying out, holy, 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 and the angels and the cherubim and seraphim. I tried to envision all of that. And so when I was praying, I tried to like actually enter into that room and know I am standing before the great king when I pray. This is actually what's happening. And so I was um, really focusing on that, getting a visual of that. And when I did, I actually pictured... Jesus on the throne and the entire earth was his footstool and he said to me during that time he was like the entire earth is my footstool you don't have to worry about a mosquito I can take care of that I am sovereign over that and I said Lord you're right you are so right and that gave me a lot of peace at that time and so I told I told my counselor I said that's where we that's where I want to go I felt really connected to the Lord at that time and so she said okay well let's just go go into his throne room that's a great place to start and so we did. We started praying. I did the same thing. I tried to really envision that room, that throne room, and to see him there on the throne. And as I entered into that, that throne room, in my mind, I'm picturing it, um, I was starting to try and worship the Lord and just, you know, ascribe glory to him and praise to him and thanks. And um, so we were doing that, and the lady that I was praying with, she said, Julie, can you kind of see yourself in there? And all of a sudden, I saw myself. It was like, okay, I don't normally see pictures, okay? God primarily speaks to us through his word. But in this moment, he just like pulled back the veil and let me see myself for an instant. And I could see myself, and I had this like massive sack on my back. 
and I was just bent over and I was trying to approach that throne of grace, but I like couldn't even move forward because this sack was just like weighing me down. Have y'all ever seen How the Grinch Stole Christmas when he like steals all the presents from Whoville and they're just like on, you know, his sled, like that thing was on my back and I just like couldn't move forward and it terrified me when I saw that picture of myself. I was so frightened because that's not what I wanted. And I said, um, I started crying and immediately, immediately I sensed that instead of the Lord being here on the throne, he was standing next to me. I couldn't see him, but I sensed he was standing next to me. And these words started coming. It's out of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And it says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit, and I will give you rest for your souls. Um, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And those words were so meaningful to me, because first of all, he was saying, come to me. I want you to come. You're not just one in a sea of thousands of people. You're not just a peon. I care about you. I want you to come to me. And I want you to take that burden off of your back, all of those anxieties, all of that weight that you're carrying. I want you to throw that off. You were never meant to carry that. I told you to cast your burdens on me. And I want you to put on my yoke because my yoke is easy and light. And I will give you rest for your souls. And then he also said, I am gentle. I want you to learn from me for I am gentle and humble in spirit. I'm not a taskmaster. I'm not cracking the whip. I'm gentle with you. I'm gentle. And I just cried and cried and cried because that is what my soul needed to hear. That is what I, that is what I needed to know in that moment. <clears throat> so we stayed there soaking that in for a while. And I was um, telling Joyce what the Lord had been speaking to me, the lady I was praying with. And she said, well, Julie, while we're here in this moment, why don't you ask the Lord about your children? Because I know you carry a lot of anxiety about your children and about this dengue fever situation. She's like, so why don't we ask the Lord about that too? And so we were just speaking to him. I was like, Lord, I'm just so afraid, you know, all this with my children. And I just laid that situation before him. And again, for a second time, he showed me another picture. And this is the only time this has ever happened to me. And um, <clears throat> this time, I could see a, a figure in front of me, just like a shadowy figure from the back. I couldn't see the person. And my son, at this point, he's 10 months old, and he was learning how to walk at 10 months old. And so um, I saw the Lord just kind of like holding his fingers like this, and they were just kind of walking together, and then he let him go, and then Finn just kind of toddled off a little bit. And like I said, I couldn't see him, but I knew that's what was happening. And um, he was just clapping as Finn walked off, and then he was standing there next to me, and we were talking, and then I'd stop for a minute and do something with my kids, and then we'd talk again, and I'd stop and do something with my kids. And what he was telling me during that time is, I am personal, I am with you. I am with you all the time, even in those mundane activities of life where you are taking care of your children, washing the dishes, doing the laundry, whatever. I am with you in those moments. I love your children more than you do. I celebrate their victories. I care about them. I care about you. And um, <clears throat> also he said to me, and about the dengue fever, if they get sick, I can heal them. Even though I am with you like this as your friend, I'm right here next to you. I am still that same God that is on the throne with the entire earth as his footstool. I can take care of that. I can handle it for you. I said, amen. Thank you. That's all I needed to hear. I didn't need anything else. And so I walked away from that place healed. That burden that I had carried for all of those months, the Lord was able to heal in just a 30-minute prayer time. It was incredible. And that's something, too, that I 
have cherished in my heart since it happened, and I know I'll carry it with me for the rest of my life. Um, so that's my story. That was my journey through anxiety and depression. Um, but I want to give a couple of um, just some brief points um, that I pulled out of my own um, experience with this, and hopefully some of this will be helpful to you, not only if you're walking through anxiety and depression, but you know, in any stage of life. And I made them all start with P's so that you can remember them easy. <laughs> I think. Let's see if I can get this going. There we go. Okay. The first one is our God is personal. He's personal. He cares about you. You're not just one in the sea of many faces. In John chapter 10, it talks about how he's the good shepherd. He knows all of his sheep, and he calls each one of them by name. He knows your name. He knows your situation. Your situation matters to him. He wants you to bring it to him. He cares for you. Our God is personal. His name is El Roy. He's the God who sees me. Just like when Hagar was in the desert, God saw her there and met her need. Your God sees you. He's personal. He loves you. He cares about you. The second one is he answers prayer. Um, my prayer was, Lord, I want to see you as you really are. I didn't think he'd actually show me. I thought he'd, like, give me a verse or something, but he did. I saw him as he really was and myself. And so he answers prayer. It's really important that we pray to him and pray without giving up. I felt like all those months, why isn't he answering me? Um, one scripture that I like to go to for this is Luke chapter 18, where we find the persistent widow and the unjust judge. And what was happening there, the Lord Jesus was teaching his disciples, and he said, I want to teach you this so that you will know that you should pray and never give up. Those are his exact words. Well, in the NIV at least. And <laughs> he, um, so what was happening is that persistent widow, she was just going to this unjust judge and crying out to him for mercy. And she did it day after day after day. And he didn't answer, he didn't answer, and he didn't answer. And then finally, that judge thought to himself, I do not care about this woman. I don't care about her cause. I don't fear God. I don't fear man. But because she is about to wear me out, I'm going to answer her and give her justice. And Jesus says, learn from that unjust judge. He was like, if an unjust judge, somebody who doesn't care about God and doesn't care about man, would do that for this widow, how much more will I, who love my children, they are my little lambs, I know their names, I cared about them, I purchased them with my blood, how much more am I going to answer them and not delay? I will answer your prayers. So just know, persevere in prayer, he does answer. And um, the third point is, his word is powerful. Um, he is called the wonderful counselor. There's wonderful counsel in this word. And I know sometimes when we're going through stressful situations or anxieties and just different things, we want to like quickly make decisions and get on top of that and get back in control. But you cannot make a decision based on how you feel because you might feel one way today and you're going to feel another way tomorrow. And in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You cannot make decisions on how you feel or what you think. You have to make decisions based on what you read in God's word because this is unchanging, unmoving, perfect. This is our counsel. This is where we have to go, go to when we make decisions, especially when you're in the valley of anxiety and depression or whatever is going on with you. So our God is personal. He answers prayer. His word is powerful, and we should try and practice his presence. 
And I get this from um, that time of prayer that I had with him where I, um, I sensed that he was with me. And he was telling me that I'm with you all the time, every day, even in the mundane of life. I'm right there with you. And just to kind of be aware of that, that God is with us everywhere we go, no matter what we're doing, where we are. And not only acknowledge his presence with us, but try and interact with that, you know, like just shooting up little arrow prayers throughout your day and just talking to him. And, or, you know, if you're in a situation, you say, Lord, I don't know what to say here. Give me wisdom here. Or I'm so glad that you're here with me, Lord, while I'm washing these dishes and I'm not by myself. Or I'm so glad that you're coming with me to East Cooper Baptist Church. I'm not standing in front of all these women by myself. Like, you know, just acknowledging, <laughs> just acknowledging his presence and that he is with us all the time. Um, so those are my points. I hope that something in there was helpful to somebody. And um, I'd love to meet all of you. Come by and say hi to me or come and see us at the missions conference. And thank you so much for letting me share my story tonight. <laughs>